So a couple weeks ago, maybe a month now, um, we were in our discussion about the Holy Spirit and prophecy in the end times. And the verse came up about the restrainer. And he that restrains will continue to restrain. And there was some discussion about, you know, what does that mean? Um, How's the Holy Spirit going to operate during the tribulation? Will there people be saved during the tribulation? And um, uh, we had some interesting discussion about it. So today, what I want to do is really kind of flesh all that out, dig it out, and um, see what Scripture says. Look at some people far, far more smarter than me. Um, see, because I just use like a double superlative, so they're a lot smarter than I am. Um, and, and see what they say about it. And then we can look at Scripture and we can talk about it and, um, and see where the Spirit leads us. And there may be some additional insight from this group as we're sitting here that may um, bring some additional truth or enlightenment to this topic. So it's going to be great. I'm glad you're all here. Let's pray before we get started. Father in heaven, we are grateful for um, you calling us out. You giving us your word. You revealing to us uh, the future and um, how that reveals the magnificence of your love and your grace and your power and that everything is in your control and your timing. And so we, um, we look for our place in your timing and to be faithful servants for all that is uh, happening now and will happen in the future. And we ask you to be with us in our discussion today and our study. Let your uh, spirit flow through us. Let us uh, release um, anything that's uh, preventing us from seeing clearly um, and uh, holding us back from grasping your truth. And then let your truth pierce us and change us and carve us uh, into the image of your son, Jesus. In the mighty name of Christ, amen. So um, what I want to do is I want to... Um, I. <laughs> this is dangerous to say, okay? I want to read through two portions, pretty significant portions of two chapters in Revelation, and I don't want us to get stuck there, okay? I want to, I want to, that's just going to be our kind of teeing up everything. All right, there's another copy of the paper notes right there if you'd like to have them. The notes are especially long this week. Just apologize for that, but there's a lot of good stuff in there. Get a chance to read through them because we're not going to get to everything today. Um, so we look at um, where is the seal coming from. So we're going to look at those two sections in Revelation chapter 7, Revelation chapter 9. And then what I want us to do is I want us to just, just drop that entire topic. And I want us to look at this, what that seal is about for, for you right now. What does that seal of the Holy Spirit, what's going on there? And so let's try, so if we can understand what's going on now with us, I think that will help us understand what's going to be going on with them then at that point. All right. So let's just jump in and I just need some readers. So we'll turn to Revelation chapter seven. We're going to do chapter seven, do verses one through three first. This is the calling of the 144,000. Who'd like to be a reader today? Come on. Don't play like you're illiterate. If you like, you may. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. They were holding back the four winds of the earth so that no wind could blow on the land, on the sea, or on any tree. I saw another angel coming from the east, having the seal of the living God. He cried out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been permitted to harm the land and sea. Don't harm the land, the sea, or the trees until we have marked the servants of our God with a seal on their foreheads. Okay, so we see what's going on here. God has, uh, this is in the middle of the tribulation. God's sending all kinds of judgments and plagues and just devastating woes 
are happening. And these four angels have been given a task. Here's your parameters. Here's what you're going to be damaging. Here's what you're going to do. And so they've left heaven. They left the throne room. They're going out to the earth. And then they're followed by another angel says, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't get started quite yet. We got to do some business first. We got to go around and seal all these people uh, so that they aren't marked by this. We're in Revelation chapter seven, first verses one through three. Now we're going to skip and always, and I'm always suspect of Bible teachers who skip sections of prophecy or sections of scripture. So I just want to tell you what we're, why we're skipping this. This is the delineation of the, those who are sealed. These are the 12 tribes. There's 12,000 from each tribe. It goes through a list. The one thing I would tell you, you can read the list later. Here's a notation for you. Dan is missing. Okay. Every time the tribes are listed in scripture, listed differently in order uh, by different names are put together. There's always 12 tribes. And there's a whole different study. We're not going to get into that today because we're not focusing on the 12 tribes. We're focusing on the seal, all right? So now we're going to skip that section, three, and go to verses nine to the end of the chapter of seven. And let me scroll down so I can stay with you. All right, so then who would be willing to pick up verse nine? This is the vision of the tribulation saints. Yes, sir, go right ahead. Nine to the end of the chapter. And after this, I looked, and there before me was great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a very loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and the elders of the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces and before worship God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom, thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then one of the elders came up and asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where do they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And they said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white with blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them in his presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Wow, there's a whole lot of stuff in there, huh? Um, so I just want to draw your attention to a couple things, and I can ask what y'all are seeing. Well, let me ask you what you're seeing first. What do y'all see in those verses? What stands out to you? Go ahead, Mr. Roy. They, they term the Great Tribulation, and tribulation, to me, delineates the first three and a half years from the second three and a half years. First, when you say tribulation, that's the first of it, and it's bad. It's very really bad. not good. But the Great Tribulation is horrid. Yes, I think that's a very important uh, distinction. I think a lot of uh, Bible scholars would agree with you on that. And Jesus uh, used that phrase as well, the great tribulation. There's one translation that calls it the great ordeal. Um, it's, it's a bad, it's, it's a, it is a delineation. Who else sees something in all those verses? What stands out to you all? There'll be a lot of people martyred. going to be a lot of people martyred. Yes, sir? Well, one of the others, one of the others actually came up there. And asked him, they didn't tell him, they didn't tell him. They asked him to see if he would know. Yeah, ask him to see if he would know. One thing that stands out to me is look at the beginning of verse, and I think it's in verse nine. Um, there's this large crowd. It's so large you can't count it. 
Okay. So that is obviously you can number it. What he's saying is this is like going to a, a, a rally or a demonstration or a concert in some great arena, like in a Super Bowl or something. And you're sitting there as a, as a spectator in the audience and you look around, and you're like, wow, there's a bunch of people here. How many people could this be? I don't know. It's a bunch. Yeah. So this is, this is a massive crowd. But then look at the, what it says, because remember that those verses we skipped are particular messengers of the gospel, selected, delineated, tasked, commanded, commissioned by God to be the ones who carry the gospel in, the, in, in this period. These are the ones who are called out from the nation of Israel. They have particular markers they have to hit to be qualified, to be called by God and ordained by him for this task. This is a different group. Okay, and how do I know that? Because it doesn't say these are the Jews. It says, what does it, how does it describe them? Every nation, tribe, people, language. Okay, so the grace of God, the salvation of Christ, the blood of Jesus is still working during the great tribulation. People are still realizing they missed the boat. They are still... Coming under conviction, remember what the Holy Spirit does for us. Jesus says it convinces you of who Jesus is, convinces you of your need for him. And then he, he facilitates that process of your salvation, right? That's what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do when he comes to you. When I send the helper, here's what he will do. So that's going on. Um, and so then uh, the next thing that stands out to me is just that, wow, how nice to know you don't have to worry about getting a sunburn again, you know? And anytime you got a tear, he's going to be there to say, I know that's tough, but it's okay. It's all over now. That's over. Don't worry about that. It's done. I mean, it's just wonderful imagery. The picture of the, just the, ah, that place to be. Um, To me, it's, it's, um, I don't think there are many words that can describe that. Well, there's one paradise. Um, And that's a, a paradiso. It's a Persian word. It's one of my favorite words in the world because the Persians had this concept of paradise as this tall, walled, not a garden, but a preserve. That inside this arena, this walled area, all of your needs are met. Everything outside of this could harm you, but nothing inside of it can. And everything is provided for you. And you live in this beautiful place. And paradisio, paradise, is just what it just brings to my mind. I was thinking, yes, sir. That when you think about revelation, you think about the rapture, you think about the tribulation, you think about being forever with the Lord in eternity, when our mortal bodies become immortal. This world is about to be shook and shaken, and no more will this, you know. Let's just jump on the Christians. Oh, Jesus, he was this and all the negative, terrible things that uh, that this world has walked away from, from this word and stuff. Um, Somebody's going to get a wake up call. Yes, sir. Big time, big time. Yeah, there's a. um... And the word tribulation means a whole bunch of really bad stuff. Yes, really, really bad stuff that will completely change your life and limit how you can live. Now, I want to I want to skip to the next. Um, let me think it's chapter nine. I think is we're going to go next. Yeah. And there are some footnotes there in your notes from that chapter. This is a this. I chose the ISV International Standard Version. I like the scholarship on it. Um, and I know I've 
like the pastors who were involved with it. Um, knowing no translation of scripture is perfect. And every uh, translator will have a different opinion about what it is. You can, you can make your own judgments about that just anyway. But for me, this was a good translation to communicate what we need to communicate in this section. Revelation chapter nine, it's just a short few verses. Um, and I'm looking at my notes. Yes, yeah, just the first six verses. And here's what I want us to see. So who can read Revelation 9, 1 through 6? Let's start with that. And then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as a smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth had power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it and shall desire to die and death shall flee from them. That's a pretty bizarre set of circumstances. Excuse me, set of circumstances. What, what do y'all, what do y'all see in those words, in those verses? What jumps out to you? Plus two things. One, one is Old Testament where we do this uh, song that we sing. They rush on the city. They run on the walls. Great is the army that carries out his work. Come on, now that's a swarm of locusts. Yes, the armies of the Lord swarm of locusts. It is a swarm, if you read the fullness of that chapter, that is devouring everything in its sight. Everything. It's not a happy song, to be honest. That's the first thing that I hear there is that. Second is my porch on my house right now. I have wasps that that are just... They just like my front porch. I don't know if it's the whatever they are. I know mint, and you can tell me all how to get rid of them later. But I'm afraid they've actually bored up through the, the door into above in the walls. Maybe I don't know where they are. But the fear that they will cause you when you open the door. They're not seeing you. They're scary. This is just one or two or three. And of course, you see the little yellow jackets get out of the way. These things are aggressive. They will come after you sometimes. Most of them won't, but, but some that do, they will cause you not to want to go out your door. But, but if you had to go out, and if you've ever reached up into a light bulb up there and they've got their thing up there and they get on you, you will be running. And they will come after you and you will not be happy. Mm-hmm. But you won't die. It'll hurt a lot. It'll be yeah. unhappy camper. And that's <laughs> what I'm seeing. Yes. Constant, day after day, all the time. Can't go anywhere, can't do anything. Yeah. Mr. Roy? It just kind of occurred to me that when I'm reading this for the first time, you know, remember like halfway through the tribulation, then you got to take the mark of the beast. Well, God has a mark mm-hmm. for his saints also. Mm-hmm. I, I never yeah. connected those two. There is a mark. There's a- yeah. There's a, for some, for, I don't know how to put this correctly, but I there is a mark of the lamb. Matthew and I talked about this the other day in Revelation that is not taught. 
And so I think a lot of the fear about the book of Revelation comes from what you're speaking of. Like we hear about the mark of the beast and all this other stuff, but there's such a hope. We, we miss the overwhelming theme of hope in Revelation with the, and the, the mark, like I like the, the references to the mm-hmm. Old Testament. And so like the mark that we're given is, is, referenced, is referencing back to Ezekiel where the, they were given the mark and it's thought to be the last letter of the alphabet of the Hebrew alphabet, the X, the Tau or T-A-W, however you say that. I say Tau, but, but yeah, there is a mark of the lamb that is not, that we kind of. Have you heard the story? She's, oh, no, go ahead, Brent. Um, it's, this might just be like a coincidence or something, but I've noticed that. The coincidence Bible, is not a kosher word. But the Bible ties together very nicely because like in the Old Testament, it has, you know, Passover, when the angel passes over, and they all put the mark of the lamb on their doorstep. Right. And then Jesus is that lamb. Right. And then God puts that mark of the lamb over all of his people. Yes. And the angel of death, so to say, or the locusts that will come to trump, that will come to, like, hurt and trump over you, that is, those marked with the blood of the lamb, will be okay. Yes. It's also, that's found something, uh, it's a different thing where he says, God specifically tells them, don't hurt anything, not even the trees and plants. Don't hurt anything except those I have not put my mark on. Right. And specifically those who take the mark of the beast. Um, yeah. And uh, that's a really good insight, man. Thank you. Good kid. That's- so these are they who are sealed. They've got the mark. And we don't know if it's a physical mark or a spiritual mark. And do believers, can they see it from each other? Obviously, these, uh, these demonic locusts this, that comes out of the pit, they can see who they're allowed to have license to damage and hurt and, and harm and those that they don't. So um, I want us to now, and there's, well, you can read your footnotes on that in that passage and you can, see what other people say about some of those scriptures. What I want to do now is I want us to go to flip back over to the, uh, back into the new Testament, second Corinthians, go to the first chapter, um, page one, second Corinthians, we're going to look at <clears throat> verses 21, 22, 2021, 22. What chapter? First, first chapter, second Corinthians chapter one. And <clears throat> I want you to turn to it and, um, I want to read it to you in an English translation called the Amplified Classic. Um, I, it, some t- it, it, when I went through and studied it, to me, it did the best job of sort of explaining what's going on here. All right. So listen to these words. Second Corinthians chapter one, verses 20, 21, 22. For as many as are the promise of God, they find their yes answer in him, Christ For the reason we also utter the amen, so be it, to God. Through him in the person and by his agency to the glory of God. But it is God who confirms and makes us steadfast and establishes us in joint fellowship with you in Christ and has consecrated and anointed us in doing, enduing us with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He also appropriated and acknowledged us by his putting his seal upon us 
and giving us his Holy Spirit in our hearts as the security deposit and guarantee of the fulfillment of his promise. Now, in three verses, Paul just put so much out there. That is just a mouthful. I mean, it's hard to even say it. Um, it's so full of stuff. All right. So what I want to pull out for you on this is what is the Holy Spirit doing here? All right. So in addition to what Jesus had taught us already, he's going to convince you of who he is, his identity and his authority. He's going to convince you of your need for him. He's going to take on this additional aspect of what he's doing in each of each believer's life. He is confirming to you the agency of Jesus. He's confirming to you your salvation. And he is doing this by the, the, the terms that are used here are interesting. Um, one is a term in a real estate transaction. All right. If you go to buy a house from someone, I'm going to go buy Greg and Christmas house. They say, great. You're a nice person. We like you. All right. We're going to sign an agreement. And then I'm going to stay and they're going to go, well, we're going to do a lot of stuff preparing for this closing, this transaction's ultimate completion. And I'm going to do a lot of stuff preparing for this transaction's ultimate completion. So how do we know we can trust each other to do what's supposed to happen on that appointed day for our closing? Well, you know, they hate to pack up their house and I hate to get ready to move in. And then when we get there and they go, oh, we decided against it. So what we do is I give them not the price in full before the event of that transaction. I give them an earnest money deposit, a guarantee that the things I've said I'm going to do, I'm going to complete them. Now, that's the word that's being used here at the end of this when he says the spirit in our hearts as a security deposit and guarantee the fulfillment of the promise. Now, if you skip up a little few verses earlier, the words earlier, when he says that he's going to give you, he has also appropriated and acknowledged us by as by putting his seal upon us. Now, that word seal, and in your notes, you'll see there's there's two slightly different Greek words that are used in the New Testament for this word seal. You can plow through that on your own. One of the words that's used there, which is common for us in our understanding of the word seal, is the signet ring. All right? The signet ring, right? And that's, if you remember, the, the seal of Rome was put upon the tomb of Christ or actually it was the tomb of Joseph Arimathea. Jesus just barred it for a weekend, but he put it on the, well, that's all it was. He just barred it for the weekend. Can I borrow your place for the weekend, man? I'll be, I'll be out here on Sunday morning. I'll be out on Sunday morning. I promise. Um, and so, but they, but the seal of Rome was put on that tomb. And what that meant was the authority of the Roman empire has said, if you break this seal, so I'm in your mind, imagine like a red ribbon or a red cord or red rope, and it's got wax seals all over it. If you break that, you are welcoming the wrath of the entire Roman Empire upon you for violating what they have said cannot be done. All right. Um, When Daniel um, or when Esther, excuse me, when Esther is trying to save the Jews, Mordecai is given the seal of the king. And he says, your prime minister, whatever you want to do to save Esther and these and your people, you have full authority to do it. So he took the seal of the king wrote a law and sealed it and they sent it out because it had the authority of it. Now, let me draw it back to, we don't use that very much. I know when you do a legal document, let's say a transaction like this, there may be a notary public or an attorney that will, or an engineer on drawings 
will take a seal and they will imprint it on that paper and they will initial it that says, I really did this. This is me. This has my authority on it. Now, if you're married or if you've ever seen a wedding, here's an idea for you. You give a ring to your bride. She's not married. There is an engagement ring, but that ring signifies, there's that word again, that there is a transaction that's occurring. It's a promise and a guarantee that it will occur. And at some point in the future, it will happen. And everything that we've talked about will take place. But this is a promise that it will take place. Now, when I got engaged to Juliet, I did not continue to date other women, <laughs> which is a good thing. All right. Well, I can know that because you're still alive. <laughs> I'm still alive. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I, I bring that kind of chuckling application to you as a point of piercing to help you rudder your behavior. And we'll see it later on in our notes. How much of, of our lives are we still living in our flesh and not living in our spirit? Are we still dating the world, but we're still the bride of Christ? Just a point for you to personally think about that and let the Holy Spirit walk through your garden and see what needs to be pulled out. This doesn't stop here with just these three verses. It's all through the New Testament. Look over in Ephesians, just a few pages over chapter four. In Ephesians chapter four, verse 29 30, 31, 32. Who could read those for me? Ephesians chapter 4, 39, or 29, 30, 31, 32. 29 through there. Who's that? Yes, sir. Go ahead. 29, 29 to 32. Chapter 4. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only do what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. That may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve. And do not gr- Grieve. Do not grieve. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, for whom you were sealed with the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive. Oh, wait. Yeah, forgiving each other, just as God forgave you. Yeah. So let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification that may impart grace to other hearers, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. All right. So the seal of the Holy Spirit upon us is not just an indwelling. It's a mark. It's a guarantee that there is a transaction. There is a fulfillment of the entire um, sanctification for us because none of us are perfect. We are still sinners. We still have sinful tendencies. We still do the wrong thing. We still say the wrong thing. We still have the wrong motives. We still keep things in our heart. We don't always listen to God when he tells us to do something. We aren't aren't perfectly obedient. But we have this guarantee that one day it will all work out. Now, stay in Ephesians. Go to chapter 1, verse 13, 14. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Who will read that for me? Now you also have heard the good news that God saved you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, 
whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us everything he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. This is just one more reason for us to praise our glorious God. What are you all hearing that? And once we're, we're accept the Lord, he accepts us and we're sealed. Yeah. Yeah, you're sealed, right? Yeah. So this would be the same. It sounds like it would be the same type of sealing. The Holy Spirit is still doing this activity with believers in the tribulation where they are sealed and protected from these plagues, from these things that are coming upon the earth, at least for this one that we see in chapter nine. I would imagine it would be for the others, but at least we see it demonstrated here that it would be. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And again, that's what we're looking at. There's a promise in these ideas. There's the promise I will actually buy your house. There's a promise I will actually show up on the wedding day and and we'll go through the ceremony and I'll be your husband, right? So these are these promises God's making to us. In uh, 2 Corinthians, yes, sir. The word promise, do, do, you, do you see that if somebody promises something, then there's a certain amount of faith that, that has to be employed you know, with that promise? And I just love the scripture when it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know, by faith are you saved. And so faith is a golden thread throughout all of the scripture. You know, by faith, Abraham believed God. And so with these promises and stuff, there's a certain amount of faith that, that happens. And so we should have some. Yeah, no, it's a great point. Faith is absolutely critical to um, our whole belief system and having faith that God's going to do what he said he's going to do. It's a, it's a story for another day, I think, um, and we've had it many, many times here, but uh, even using the wedding analogy, you make a promise, then you seal the promise on the day, and then you ask, um, so when do you know if this marriage is successful? Well, three years, and they're still going uh, before they get divorced. Can, can you go? Is the marriage successful? They married other people. Then they married other people. Then they married other people. It was not successful because they didn't stay faithful to the promise. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason. That's And that's not your salvation. That's your marriage. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, discussed, he discusses that. It wasn't meant to be that way. But this was, this was the analogy. This was the, the plan that you make a promise with Jesus. And I think it's why he's so... Uh, spend so much time saying you should sit down and count the cost just like you should before you get married. You people enter into a marriage contract way too easily and then they find out, uh-oh, this, this didn't work out. Well, this was a serious thing. You shouldn't have entered into it. Jesus does the same thing. He says you should count the cost before you get into this thing because this is now going to be a walk of faith, your marriage and your walk with me. And then that's another Bible study that is, so what is this ingredient of faith in our walk? And do, how do we stay faithful? And I slipped and fell. Okay, that's one thing. But I've turned away from it as a whole other thing. I have rejected the promise that, that I do not receive it anymore. And that gets into the one Satan mm-hmm. always say, is the walk. Trying to continue 
this thing until death do us part. Yeah. Until now you're, you're yeah, you're exactly right. So that would be that 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 whole idea that uh, are you still dating the world, or are you faithful are to you, your are groom? You seeing people on the side. Now? Yeah. And and that is no condemnation. Uh, Romans eight one tells us, you know, there's therefore now no condemnation. If you've been divorced, if you've fallen, all of us have slipped and fall, fallen. And, and Matthew said, we are sinners, but that Jesus in me is not a sinner. The spirit of Christ in me is not a sinner. Mm-hmm. It's me. And this is the wrestling match. And now I, I, I have a wrestling match on day 68 of my contract with him, but I slipped and fell and I run back to him. And he says, got it. Mm-hmm. Let's go on. Right, why don't you all turn to Romans chapter eight? I want you to read verse one. And then we'll turn to the primary subject. We haven't hit the primary subject of our study today. You can't blame this on me. I didn't come in until 9 o'clock, and you guys haven't gotten the first verse. So that's not my fault. Look at at Romans chapter 8 and um, read it. Who would read it out loud for me? Verse 8-1. Wherefore, yeah. Wherefore, since they are for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. There's not a little bit more in there. Okay. Well, then read the second verse in yours. <laughs> For the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you through Christ Jesus from the power of sin that leads to death. Let me find it real quick in my notes because. Um, if you haven't wandered through the whole chapter of eight, just underline how many times spirit, 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 spirit. If you think the Bible kind of ignores how much control the Holy Spirit has in your life today, give me one second. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Does anybody have those words in their version? You do? You should go burn your Bible. I memorized the <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. I want to I, I, I want to I want to pull that out for you because I typically don't cite those words when I get to this verse. Um, but I do feel that we need to cite those words to get the whole context. Um, You're not condemned in Christ. That's the devil's job. He does condemnation. You're a bad person. You're the worst mom ever. I can't believe you call yourself a Christian. You did that. That's condemnation. Conviction is the Holy Spirit coming to you and saying, no, you really shouldn't have said that to Bob. He's a nice guy. You should probably get that straight. And uh, yeah, that wasn't right the way you cut that person off in traffic. Let's don't, let's don't do that anymore. Okay. Or, you know, I really wanted you to ask that person one more question because they needed prayer. Would you please do that next time we get in this little situation? I get you set up for this person. I did a lot to get you there. Some else don't do it now, but I need you to do it. So I get Romans 8.1 and I just, there is no, therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Does that mean if you walk after the flesh, there is condemnation? That's a great question. So let me ask, here's what I think it is. 
I think the last part of that verse is a verification clause. It is a verification of no condemnation is verifiable. Okay. So you want to be without condemnation because you want to be a believer. All right. So how do you verify you're a believer? You're going to bear. It's a validation for each of us that we truly are without condemnation. We verify our status with our inner selves, not by, not by walking after the flesh. All right. So if we got something in our lives that is inconsistent with what God expects us to be doing, you're, you're, you're not, you're not following what God is asking you to do. Um, how about um, walking after the spirit? So are you chasing the spirit? Or are you chasing the flesh? And you say that sounds like works. Well, no works are us trying to earn our salvation. Um, this is a mark of being, um, true to your salvation it's not earning your salvation so if you do not see a so sometimes i meet people and um i present the gospel to them and they receive the gospel and they will ask jesus to be in their heart and they'll say i believe what you're saying and they will come to that moment of clarity and faith and they say i'm I'm a, I'm a believer now but then i see them later and there's no change in them There's no difference in that person in the way they behave and live and things they choose and do before we had our conversation about who Jesus is and how you need salvation. And after they say, I believe who Jesus is and I need salvation. So an old pastor once said to me, if there is no change, there is no change. So the validation that we each receive from our we are not condemned is not earned because we can't earn that, but it validates in us that we are without condemnation. Well, scripture does cause and effect a lot. Like we like to quote the first verse. There is no first part, like there is no condemnation, but for those who walk with Christ. And so if we're not walking with Christ, like there's all things work together for good to those who love God. Whoa, whoa, whoa. To those who love God are called according to his purpose. Wait, hold on. I don't like, I saw that on Hollywood. I think you got the version wrong. Yeah. Like, so. Yeah. We have to take the effect of cause. So um, this is a warning to Timothy from Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. And it has the word seal in it in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 19. It says, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth true, having this seal, same Greek word, this seal, the Lord knoweth that, that we are his. All right. So the seal is put upon us because God's doing that work. We're not putting it upon ourselves. We are his and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So if I say Juliet is my wife, but I'm dating other women, what kind of marriage do I have? Wives, who's going to, who's going to tolerate that husband? None of you, right? Right? Husbands, who's going to tolerate that wife? None of us, right? Yeah, we're not going to go for that. Yes, sir. I'm raising my hand like, who will raise their hand and say they tolerate that? Sorry. Yeah. Good, good caller. Thank you. So clever. He's so quick. He's so quick. Um, yeah. So that was in your notes. And it was completely brought out by Colonel Jim, who has not read those notes because we haven't gotten there. I was trying to veer us into the main part of our study today, which is in Second Thessalonians. 
because in Second Thessalonians is where we see this idea, this phraseology of um, what's going on here with the seal and um, how God is working. So let me get to that part so I can tell you what we're looking at. Second Second Thessalonians chapter two, and I'm so sorry, forgive me. We're going to be starting at, um, yeah, verse two, and we're going to go for a good ways. All right, verse Second Thessalonians chapter two. Who'd be willing to read and start for about ten verses, or where you see a break in your page? Who could do that for me? Verses one through ten. Maybe let's try that. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter, as from us, as that. The day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that, when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he, until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. And he will all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusions that they shall believe a lie. Keep going. Mm-hmm. That they might all be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and the belief of of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Thank you, Mr. Roy. That's a lot of reading. What uh, what jumps out to y'all? There's a lot of stuff in there. Does anything jump out to y'all in particular? Mr. Roy? That we were kind of sealed and that God loves us and that, you know, we have to do good works until he comes and don't worry about things because he is our God. And this guy will be revealed and a lot of people won't believe the truth, but just keep going and do good. Be comforted. Be comforted. Yeah. And, it's, and that's one of the things about the, the, I think that's one of the many scholars believe that's one of the reasons God granted prophecy uh, to the children of Israel uh, to us, so that when bad things happen, you go, well, 
God said it would be like this. And there's, like you said, charisma, there is always hope in, in, in the prophetic. Even if there's some really bad news coming, there's a thing that God says it will end. This will happen. Here's your escape route. This is how it's going to, your relief is coming. What else stands out to you all? Anything? How about the first verse? How about that verse one? Yeah, absolutely. Jesus is coming. Yep. So um, I put some notes in and some things you can look at and you can actually click on and look at what some other people say. So if you look at verse one, when I look at read, read verse one again, when I look at it to me, I see two events taking place in verse one. I see Jesus coming and believers gathering. Okay, I see two. Now we beseech you, brethren. Now that is um, begging. That's old English for I am begging you, please. And uh, the audience that's being begged is not the world. It's the church. It's believers. I am begging you, please listen to this message. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our being gathered together unto him. All right. There's two different things. You can look in your notes. There's some details about how Greek language is working and stuff like that. But the scholars do say these are two two phases of the same event. All right. So that you would not be soon shaken in your mind. All right. Beliefs, your patterns of thought or troubled, living without personal peace. Um, neither by now listen to the list in verse two, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us. So Paul is saying, I have not written to you announcing that the day of the Lord has already come. All right. Or that Christ has returned or that the believers have been gathered. I've not done that. Okay. So that therefore to me, that says that Paul believed Christ would come back. Believers will be gathered. There would be a day of the Lord. All these things is what he's saying. The things you've I've heard that you've been taught. Don't get alarmed by that. So the, the language he uses is, is uh, like my, my version says not to become easily unsettled or alarmed. And the Greek there is actually like a, they would, it was kind of like a reference to a ship out in the middle, like unsettled and lacking stability. And so he tells us not to like be anchored, be anchored in what you know, and don't be caught off adrift by, following untruths which is still pertinent today very true of us who will will hear something and we believe it and we kind of take off but it's not really rooted in scripture it's not really rooted and that's very critical to stay grounded in the word which is why you have 14 pages of notes because there's a lot of word in it um so then let's look at verse three let no man deceive you by any means now this warning is very similar to what jesus issues in matthew 24 mark 13 where Jesus says, let no man deceive you. Do not be deceived. Um, for the day of the Lord, for that day, the day of the Lord shall not come, except here's a list of things, all right? One, the falling away will happen first. All right, so I brought this. This is my prop. Okay. Has anyone seen this book before? Who can name the five gospels? What do you mean? What? You can... No, the book says there's five. What's the, who, who knows the? Just because it's wrote down, don't mean it's just because it's wrote down, don't mean it's true. Yeah. So this is um, right here. Some of your versions may say apostasy. Okay. 
the apostasy has to take place first. This is, um, I got this book for free. I didn't buy it. I got it at thrift store for free. They were giving it away. There was a whole group of books like this. Um, this is an apost- This is um, a, a book of apostasy. So apostasy is when someone who has believed in Jesus and lived their life as a believer, and then they say, I no longer can believe in God. I don't believe the Bible anymore. I'm walking away from my faith. That is an apostate. And Paul says that all the end stuff will not happen until this happens. This is happening right now. This is from a thing called the Jesus Seminar. Have you ever heard of the Jesus Seminar? Bad news, Jesus Seminar. They go around and they tell you, um, search of the authentic words of Jesus. Yes. What did Jesus really say? Yeah. And so it's a whole thing. There's actually a movement called deconstructionism. And there are sadly pastors in big churches who are involved with it, deconstructing believers' faith. There's a famous one. There's a woman. Uh, I think uh, Dixie Roberts took a group of people to meet this one lady. She had a uh, she had a meeting, and she was a victim of it. She was a um, Christian singer in a group, and she got involved with a church in Tennessee. And um, the pastor seemed really good, and the church seemed really good. And the pastor invited her and her husband into a small group. It was just like six people uh, in his home. And in that meeting, he revealed to them that he no longer believes the Bible. He no longer believes Jesus is the son of God, and they should believe like he does. And over a period of uh, months, he led them in a Bible study to bring disbelief to their faith. And she walked away. And then eventually she walked back. That's, that's the Holy Spirit. He's got a good sense of humor. Um, and, but she walked back. And so now she does seminars warning people about this. Don't get drawn into this. This is not biblical. Yes, Glenn. They're very enticing words. Yes. They sound very simple, very believable. Yes. That's the way the devil is. It makes it so... So yes. Pleasant. So, oh, and that's and that's and that's exactly what he did in the garden. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 what that's a short. It's a short playlist. <laughs> he ain't got a lot of tactics, but man, they're effective, and we fall for them every time. If we don't, if we don't know scripture, we're easily swayed by that. The only way to really yeah, and that goes back to your anchor. Of, yeah, yeah, I mean, put on the you know, put on the body of armor. Yeah, you got to have it. Um, we're. Yes, it was. The scripture was the defense of Christ during his 40 days of temptation. I'm just going to pull a couple more things out of this, and then we'll probably have to get back into Second Thessalonians chapter 2 next week. But I just want to bring some stuff out to you. So there's this list of things. The falling away will happen first. And two, the man of sin, Antichrist, will be revealed. The son of perdition. Verse 4, who, one, opposeth and two, exalteth himself above all that is called God. And three, or that is worship. Four, and so that he as God, so that he is as God, okay? So listen, he is taking on all aspects of deity like a Caesar would do. You've probably read in history classes where different Caesars would declare themselves to be a God. Nero, uh, Caligula, Caesars did it all the time. And they would then demand worship. From everybody, and they were obviously born a man, but they, they took on that role. So that's what's going on here. Um, and then fifth, sitteth in the temple of God. Now this is critical. 
to your time frame. Where's the temple of God in our world today? Now, we, you are the living temple of God, but there is not a physical temple as there was when Paul wrote this. There was a temple. And where was that temple? In Jerusalem. So is there a temple of God in Jerusalem today? No. Guess what this verse tells me? There's going to be. It's going to be happening. One day there will be. So when you see a news flash that uh, great, uh, great news, we've reached a, a historic peace agreement and the temple is going to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. Pack your bags. <laughs> it's time to go, baby. All right. So then, and then he's sitting in the temple of God, six showing he is God. Verse five, remember ye not that when I was with you, I told you these things. Paul saying, we had a Bible study on this. We talked about all this. Don't get rattled. Okay. Have you seen any of this stuff happen? No. Okay. Don't get rattled. All right. So Paul taught that there would be approach. There'd be a plan. There'd be a place of antichrist to this young church, Thessalonica. This, and this is the thing that really bugs me. So I'm going to say it. People that say, oh, you can't teach prophecy to new Christians. You've got to wait till they've had some time to learn their faith. Well, I hate to tell you, my example is Paul. He planted this church. I mean, it was just a few years old. And before this letter was written, he was already telling them about the Antichrist, about the end of the world, the things are going to happen. Prophecy is for everybody. Okay. It doesn't matter when you were saved, how long you've been studying the Bible. It's for all of us. All right. And now verse six, this is where we're going to get into a little controversy. We got three minutes to do it. So I'll, I'll throw the hand grenade and I'll walk out the room. Okay. All right. Here's the hand grenade. And now ye know what restraineth, and this is how it all started, that he might be revealed in his time. So what he's saying is that there is something in the world, in Paul's world, that is restraining Antichrist in verse 6. Now, I'm going to give you some ideas, all right, because nobody knows for sure. I'm going to give you some ideas what scholars say. Number one is God, okay? Because Antichrist doesn't have power over God. Satan doesn't have power over God. He only has a power as long as God says your leash may reach. Okay? So God is the ultimate master of the clock, the timekeeper of everything that happens. So that's number one. All right? Um, that's the ultimate restrainer is God. The other aspect of um, is the idea that we, as believers, if God, if Jesus returns and gathers his flock and removes them from the world at this time, like we just said while ago, Mr. Roy, we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. So suddenly there's all these little dots of Holy Spirit around the world, little tiny temples walking around, and suddenly they're all gone. There's nobody sitting at the corporate boardroom who says, I don't think we should do that. There's nobody sitting at the school board meeting that says, I don't think we should do that, because that influence of that person has been removed from the world at that time, And then there's nothing but godlessness remaining. There is no restraint. I would ask you to think about this. What would a world look like, a society or culture look like, if there was only the most educated by the ways of men, most far thinking by the ways of men, with absolutely no restraint from any kind of religious influence? What would that culture look like? What would that nation look like? Pretty much close to what we got right now. Well, we're still here, though. Okay, let me give you an example. I would say it would look like 1930s Germany National Socialism when they were in charge. I'd say it looks like 
Russia under Soviet Union from the revolution in 1917 to when they dissolved in the 1980s. Look like that, like Cambodia in the killing fields, any, any place like that, like China today. I mean, so it looks like that. That's what it looked like. Um, and so my, even then, yes, there's still an influence. They're still there. It's not completely. So yeah. It almost could be argued that like that time frame would literally be hell on earth because hell is actually like the complete absence of God. And so yes. there is no influence of God over the world at that time. Yeah. It literally is a complete absence of godliness. Like, I mean, worse than pre Noah. Like, yeah. You know. Yeah. And that's one reason Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, which we can get in that phrase later. We're late. I got to pray. We got to go worship. All right. Father God in heaven, we are so very grateful for your word, the, the depth of your word, the intertwining intricacies of your word, the validity and the power, the peace that your word grants us, Lord. Let us take that peace and that power deep into our hearts today and this week so that we can share our faith with those we meet, bring that peace to them that they may meet Jesus and have him like we do. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you all for being here.